Hi, everybody. I'm Stephen Bannister, and welcome to another episode of Two Mugs in Coffee. Today, I'm joined by Emily Colomb, who is based in our Melbourne office in Australia. Ollie is on a well-deserved break. Emily, hello. Hi, it's so awesome to be here. It's I've listened to it long enough, but it's, yeah, time to be a part of it. Fantastic to be <laughs> here. And Emily, you're, you're joining us because you've been out and about visiting a number of customers and you've got some interesting questions to ask us or ask me today. Yeah, it, it just became apparent that there's a lot of um, education that could be given to roasters and there's a lot of um, maybe confusion and just thought it would be a nice way to answer some of those questions and um, yeah, hopefully it helps. Fantastic. So, well, let, let's jump straight into it. How, what, what should we be discussing? What should we be talking about? Well, I think firstly, um, there's a lot of confusion around the key terms for pricing or buying coffee, like flat, differential, direct trade. Um, what are the pros and cons of that? You know, mm. that type of thing. So I thought maybe we could start just firstly defining what those are and um, how they play into the into this part of the industry. Sure. Um, well, I think firstly, I mean, you've got we've got two quite different uh, concepts there, and sometimes I agree they are mixed in this idea of pricing and and direct trade, or or does direct trade cut out the middleman, or or does it not uh, as well? So. I think that's interesting. If we look at flat price, flat price is generally a price that a farmer may quote us whether that could be free on truck from their farm, free on truck from the packing partner uh, and milling partner that they work with, or it could be a free onboard vessel price. Uh, if we're working with more sophisticated people, some people will trade from a differential perspective and be hedged. So I, I guess a big difference is this ability for a larger business to use futures as uh, a liquidity vehicle to, in the case of a farmer, sell when the price is high but still remain and have liquidity to be able to uh, buy uh, when the price is low for the roaster as well. So it's that balancing act. And sometimes I think the real reason that we have a futures market is to try and get the best price for both parties and provide liquidity in between so people have an option. Uh, what, one thing we find really challenging in this environment is when the price has gone up really high, the farmer is desperate to sell but the, the roasters or the end user may not be keen to buy. And by using a differential price or a futures price, we can actually create a better price for both the farmer and the roaster as well. And I think this causes confusion sometimes for people where how can you buy high and sell low? How does that work? How is that possible? Um, well, it is actually possible through the mechanics of hedging uh, and understanding our costs. Yeah. Um, and so 
so I think part of the confusion as well is the idea that the flat price, because it's just one price, um, people see it as more ethical or oftentimes it's seen as the more ethical way of buying because they're given just one flat price um, and they're able to recoup all of their costs from the past season. But with a different, with the um, volatile market, such as it is right now, and the, the flat price is a lot lower than, or it could be a lot lower than what the actual coffee is worth now. How does that? Um, yeah, I, it's an interesting concept and one where if we think from our side, from, from a roaster or a buyer perspective, if, if we're a, in a long-term relationship with a farm and we bought a year ahead and we paid a premium for that, but the market itself has moved 100% now in terms of the change yeah. in one year of coffee. So whatever premium it, we were paying before is sort of wiped out compared to the price that the farmer could sell today. And I think that this flat price does have um, an interesting connotation if markets are stable. And I think if we look at the last four years or sort of 2015 to 2019, we've had a, a, a stable environment and this flat price mechanics has worked. But now we're in a more volatile environment and we need to ensure that we give the farmer the best possible chance to, to get a price that works for them. We've also got to put ourselves sometimes in the farmer's shoes and understand that when we're having inflationary pressures here, there's also inflationary pressures on origin, which really need them to uh, help and support get the best price possible because they've budgeted a year ago for the fuel prices staying the same. The fuel prices are now completely different. And these create many challenges. So if we think about having a forward relationship from a farmer, it's, it's really about trying to create a vehicle which enables them to get the price that works for them and they're comfortable to lock in in the future. And differential buying allows us to do that, to allows us to get the best price for the farmer and the best price for the roaster. And those two prices don't necessarily line up on a specific day. And I think this is the difference as well, that by using somebody like us, we're able to achieve better prices for both parties while still maintaining a, a very fluid supply chain and giving optionality both to a roaster and a farmer about where is the best price or where is the best place to put the coffee or who is the best partner to work with? Because sometimes our businesses as a roaster or a farmer, we look for different things or we have different output. Um, we have a better crop, we have a worse crop, and we need to adjust that as well. So providing that flexibility of differential pricing probably I would say actually gives more stability to supporting the farmer rather than just a price agreed on a certain day without any buffer for what's in front of us in terms of volatility. 
and we've definitely seen a volatile market over the past uh, 12 months. Yeah, definitely. I think that's really interesting because roasters, when they buy from us or um, importers like us, they they lock in their price on the day that it works for them. But I don't know if everyone always thinks about how the farmers are able to sell on a day that works for them in the same way, but just inverse. But yeah, that was interesting to listen to you talk about. Um, yeah, the, the, there's sort of two, two or three waves through a season that a farmer will sell. The first will be at the beginning of the, their crop cycle year. Uh, to potentially have contracts for financing or liquidity to help them with agronomy practices. The second will be when the coffee is coming off the trees, so they need to deliver that uh, as soon as it comes off the trees to have it processed and uh, in a stable environment, whether that's in a parchment or they've got their own milling facilities. And then you've got, uh, I guess, creating that that final sale to, to sell all their coffee and, and move it on and put that money in the bank and reinvest that for the next crop. So there's sort of three windows through a season that a farmer will generally look at. The challenging thing, again, that happens is sometimes that farmers will always look for the best possible price that they can get. And in times of high volatility, that creates a lot of pressure. Um, especially if we have fixed price contracts that is well below the market for the farmer and the farmer feels that 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 price is now not representative of the coffee that they're delivering. So there's some of the challenges that we we do face when we are procuring coffee and that's why we, we look to have, in most cases, agreement through the harvest period or if we're agreeing before the harvest period, we'll always use uh, more often than not, a, a differential approach so we can give the farmer the chance to work out and price uh, the way that's best for him. And we have an ongoing conversation with the farmer or with our partners on our origin on how to do that. Yeah, um, and I guess we should, we should talk about what differential means, right? Or have you talked about that in we have talked about that, but again, okay. the differential is really the uh, premium or discount to the underlying uh, futures contract, whether that be the New York futures contract for Arabica or the uh, London Robusta contract. Yeah, perfect. So the, the differentials and the flat rates are normally per contract or per lot that we're buying, but um, what if an importer sets a baseline rate, is that also considered a flat rate? And does it run into the same issues as the flat rate um, per lot? I think if we set a flat rate, say a year ago, 150 cents a pound was a really good price to pay for coffee. Yeah. Now that's an 80 cent discount to the market. So I think everything's relative to the here and now. And this is where also we start to stretch relationships if we don't have flexibility built into our procurement strategies because, oh, I've been paying above the market for two or three years. You should be paying me back. But it, it doesn't always work like that. I think farming continues to be challenging as running any business, I think, is challenging. But totally. we've got to have 
an ability through our pricing mechanisms to be flexible to volatility. Because at the moment, coffee is probably changing 1% to 2% a day um, up or down. Uh, at the moment, we're, we're probably in a bit of a balancing act, I would say, as the market sits around 220 today. Um, trading a range of 220 to 240 uh, over the past couple of weeks. And now the question in front of us is what's going to happen to the Brazilian crop? Are we going to have a smooth run into harvest and we'll probably see a bit of a price reduction on the futures market? But if we see any challenges, uh, we're going to have a very tight uh, procurement environment. And we're already seeing that with uh, countries from Central America and South America being well sold, uh, almost sold out, in fact, in terms of Costa Rica, Honduras, um, Colombia, all, all very tight procurement markets at the moment. Uh, what, what are we waiting for? We're waiting for Peru, Papua New Guinea to start to come online um, to be shipping. But again, I think the nearby is probably already bought by a lot of roasters. So it's really about finding what's what's available, what, what can work, and making sure that we have an understanding of our coverage as well. So touching on the supply chains, um, maybe we should talk about bigger and um, importers on the smaller end of the spectrum and um, what that means in terms of building resilient supply chains. Yeah, I think it's interesting to look at what it takes to be um, an importer or a supply chain partner at the moment because the last couple of years, as we said, we've had probably a lower cost supply environment and we've had a very good shipping environment to create uh, just-in-time mechanics. So we don't have to hold coffee as long uh, and ocean freight was relatively not that expensive. Fast forward to the environment we've been in since uh, COVID has started, especially the last two years, we've seen a very challenging uh, shipping environment. And we've also seen now an increase in costs of the underlying product we trade coffee by more than 100%. That translates to we need deeper pockets, we need more money to actually just run the same business as we did a year ago or three years ago. We actually need twice as much cash for doing exactly the same thing, which is becoming already challenging. We're also needing to run our business uh, with more inventory uh, as people's demand forecasts ebb and flow with COVID lockdowns and unlocks and relocks and everything else that is in front of us. I think we have a green period, but it's about having that resilience to continue to be putting coffee on the water and being organised and ensuring that it's arriving uh, for uh, your customers and being available. I think that's the biggest challenge in the environment today. If we look at the comparison between a, a big importer and a small importer, I think there's always this analogy of sometimes 
the the larger businesses are sometimes too big to care. But I would also argue that I probably have more connections to the coffee and more conversations and more ability to care by the network that we have and the network that we've built over the last five years than most other people. We, we do have constant conversations with all our supply partners. We work on different strategies to enable traceability and, and push the boundaries on being traceable both upwards and downwards the supply chain to build stronger relationships. So I, I really am happy to sort of talk to any prospective customer about how we could be, how we could iron out um, anything in that regard that people feel that we're not as good as a, a smaller sort of more niche importer. I think where the challenge happens is sometimes that we we focus on a number of origins and some people really become experts in one and they're able to unlock amazing aspects of terroir or, or regionality or process from those countries. All I'd say is if you give us enough time and effort um, and clear guidelines, I feel we can also unearth that coffee and we're constantly asking our supply chain partners and farmers and uh, millers that we work with for what's different, what's next, what's tasting great. And we've been evolving our transparency and our relationship with all the middles and all the coffee labs that we work with uh, to ensure that we've got better understanding of quality between our office and their office uh, all the time. Yeah, I think something that kind of, that really shook my view of um, importers when I was going up the learning curve of being in this part of the industry was that um, smaller importers, I guess, usually they buy, they receive samples and they buy their favorites and that's a totally legitimate way of buying coffee, but it doesn't necessarily close the gaps in the market or the access, the market access um, for farmers. And mm. then I realized that these, these smaller companies that have made um, roots in these, in these origins that you were talking about, or maybe just one or two, um, and they've really become a part of these communities. But what happens when their business goes under in the producing, or I mean, in the consuming country, what happens to the communities that rely on them? Whereas these bigger companies like um, Ecom or the Ecom network, we have the network and the infrastructure to create generational sustainability. Um, yeah, I, I think it, it's something that we've been very passionate about in creating sort of sustainable management supply chains uh, and, and services to farmers throughout our origin businesses and our origin partners. And it's really interesting to see the impact on that if we run it over a five or a 10 year period. And now we're getting to that stage where we're, we're looking to, to deliver that service uh, to, to the customer 
as well to provide more transparency, not even around the farm or the coffee itself, but around the people um, and the the actual flora and fauna uh, on the farm as well, which is starting to become more and more important as we look at other business objectives, whether that be UN key objectives that people adopt or carbon neutrality that people are looking at as well. So these are all journeys that we're going down a business as a business. Uh, as, a, as a business, we're also signed up to um, the 2050 Paris Accord uh, scientific measurement process for carbon neutrality. So we have a long journey ahead to figure that out and get that right. Um, I don't think anybody has all the answers today, but we're definitely a business that wants to proactively improve our supply chain uh, over the years and decades ahead to ensure that we, we can hit those targets. Yeah, definitely. It's, you know, you can use business for good. And I think, yeah, we, we have a long road ahead, but we're, on the right track. Exactly. Well, Emily, I would say thank you very much for your questions. Um, we'll really look forward to uh, chatting again soon. Um, and please, anybody, reach out to Emily uh, or, or the rest of the team at Candessa as well. Uh, it's always fantastic to have these sort of robust about how we can make our industry or the supply chain or a coffee better for people. Uh, and I think collaboratively, through a collaborative approach, we can, uh, we can have a lot more impactful change as well. Definitely. Thanks for having me. It was, um, and answering the questions. I think that's the main part is talking about what, yeah, these, um, these important things. So. Thank you, Stephen, for inviting me. Always a pleasure, Emily. Uh, and thank you, everyone, for listening. And stay tuned for the next episode. Uh, I'm Stephen Bannister from Condessa. Uh, Ollie Brown will be here next week again with me, I, I imagine. And uh, take care and stay safe. Bye-bye. <laughs>